welcome to the Actual Astronomy Podcast, episode number 31, Observing Plan for July. So uh, yesterday we actually did, I don't want to call it a special episode because, you know, Shane, any episode I do with you is special. Oh, you know, my, <laughs> I'm touched, but, but I got to tell you, in the description, I called it a special episode. Oh, did you? <laughs> Yeah, well, I saw, you know, it was, it was exciting because I saw that we actually had, uh, I think at last count, uh, over 30 people listened to it, uh, about three dozen people listened to it, I think, in the end in 20, less than 24 hours. So uh, it's certainly uh, surprised to see that many people download it that quickly. So uh, maybe there's just one person out there that just kept downloading it because something went wrong. Um, but I meant to mention in that one that I was, I was out uh, doing some comet observing uh, two mornings ago and two or three mornings ago. It's getting a little blurry in my mind. And uh, I, I saw the moon, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn uh, together in the sky as well. And Mars is looking very red. Uh, and just having all those planets up with the moon uh, and the comet was just, honestly, it was one of the most beautiful sights I've ever seen. It was just extremely beautiful, you know, and it's warm in the summer, so you're not dealing with stuff, and there hasn't been many bugs here anyway. Um, and you know, it's pretty dark and still at 2 a.m. So, uh, yeah, it was it was just pretty pretty good. So, this will be our objects to observe podcast. Uh, you know, when we do uh, one of the monthly ones, we do a bit of a brief sketch. Eh? We we kind of run out just just sort of some highlights. Yeah, I often talk about planetary positions and yeah. you know, moon stuff but not 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 the other fun things to look at yeah but these months sort of these uh you know uh deep dive months of may and july and august and september we do some pretty heavy observing so as much as we can you know if the conditions are right you know meaning cloudless skies and not much wind and if it's dark meaning no moon in the sky uh we're out somewhere probably observing yeah and it's finally dark again. I think uh, tomorrow night is is when we finally get like a decent amount of uh, dark time, like more than an hour or something like that. And you can actually tell now, like last night, even even with the moon up, um, you know, before the moon fully came up, we we did have a brief spell of of darkness. So uh, so yeah, I think uh, over the next few weeks, I only have two or three nights where I'm not actually planning to to be out observing. So oh, that's yeah. awesome. If it's cloudy, I, I won't be out, but, uh, but if, if it's clear, I will. And, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to plan a, a couple trips. So, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll get out because we, we can pretty much observe from, from uh, tonight or tomorrow night, um, right through, uh, almost until the end of the month, I think the 27th or 28th. Um, so we have a solid two weeks here of, of, uh, potentially you know, good skies to observe in. So hopefully we can get out and enjoy some of those. Yeah, definitely. And, and even though like true darkness is only an hour and it's a little bit later, um, you know, last night I was out at 1130 and I, I was barely outside of the city. So in light polluted skies and you can already see the darkness starting to come back. You know, yeah. the Milky Way was starting to show itself and uh, it, it warmed my heart almost as much as your words at the start of the podcast. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and because of this, so, so because of this and scheduling that, we're going to, we're going to record, I think, I think at least two, maybe three episodes today. And, and maybe we can, we can hop on sometime in the next couple of weeks. So, uh, you know, we did the episode yesterday. So, so we've got lots of episodes coming out. Um, it's just, I'm not sure how, how you're going to end up staggering them. And so 
if people notice, we, we end up kind of quote unquote missing one, although we'll be on pace for the number of episodes we, we plan to do in, in the run of the month. Uh, they might come out at a slightly, slightly different pace, just depending, I guess. So people should know that. Yeah, that's a good comment. Normally we try to release episodes on Mondays and Thursdays. Uh, but if you notice that cadence get disrupted, just know that it's because we've been observing and we're maybe a little bit behind in recording or releasing the episode, but we'll, uh, we'll continue with it. Uh, even if it seems like we're not as frequent as normal. Yeah. And, and it's, I think it's important that we get out, like we actually get out and do this stuff. So, uh, maybe we can try to hop on, uh, somehow somewhere like we don't have very good internet where we go so and i think i think we're going to end up observing sort of independently uh did talk to mike yesterday as well and kind of feel bad about the fact that the place that i picked um used to have camping no longer has camping and like we got a list of 25 things that we have to do when we go in there to actually stay in the like airbnb type accommodations and it's kind of a bit of a stripped down kind of like they're not going to have any cushions on the Chesterfield and like some pretty crazy stuff. So, um, yeah. So <laughs> sounds fun. <laughs> yeah. I know. I was kind of like, uh, I kind of wish I knew about that. Um, so anyway, but you know, uh, you know, it'll be fine. I'm sure. But, uh, yeah, and definitely disrupting our plans to actually get together and observe the three of us. But, uh, Anyway, so how about that comet? Sounds like you got out last night. You said you needed to get another cup of coffee. So um, that's good news. <laughs> yeah, um, it was a fantastic night, Chris. Um, and I was not out for very long. So um, earlier in the day, you and I had chatted and I asked about where you observe. And, yeah. you know, we've talked about how we live on opposite ends of the mm. city. You're southeast, I'm northwest. Your location is close to you, but you know, it's probably a 20, maybe even a 30 minute drive really for me to get yeah, there. Yeah. You I could probably get home. somewhere pretty darn dark in 30 minutes from your place. Like yeah. I could, but opposite directions. Yeah. So I, uh, I decided kind of last minute not to go to your location. Um, the problem with that is I really had no idea where I was going cause I, <laughs> I hadn't done any pre scouting or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, but I know like from my house, I, you know, I just kind of get onto this, uh, you know, little exchange on, on the, near the highway. And if I keep going North, it, it's a gravel road. So I just kept driving down it and I knew that there was kind of a, like there's a little, little bit of a hill. So I drove past that and then it turned into nearly a, you know, a goat's trail where there's no gravel. Um, oh yeah. Had the road been wet, you know, you're not getting out of there. You'd get very stuck. Yeah. You gotta be careful. Yeah, but the nice part about that is that, you know, there's not a lot of traffic then down that type of a road. Yeah. And um, I maybe got five kilometers out of the city and there is a kind of a giant berm uh, of, you know, dirt in the field that provided like a natural shelter or, or like light blockage for the city. So I kind of just drove past that. Oh, wow. uh, I was shielded from a lot of the, the city light. And so my wife also came with me, as I mentioned uh, yeah. in the last episode. And, um, you know, I was slowing down once I passed this berm and I said, whoa, there's the comet. Uh, you know, it just popped out, you know, yeah. it, it was right there. And uh, my wife saw it immediately too, which, you know, that's always a good sign when, you know, somebody who doesn't do a lot of observing sees something quickly. Yeah. Um, so we jumped out of the vehicle. Uh, we started with the 12 by 36 binoculars. And it was incredible. Um, you know, that comet, it's so large. Like it's, well, 
the, the, the nucleus itself is, you know, quite small, but the tail, oh my gosh, it takes up a lot of sky. I was really, uh, I was really impressed with it. Yeah. Um, so we moved from the 12 by 36 binoculars to a little 61 millimeter William optics refractor uh, that I have. And uh, I put in the 31 millimeter Nagler, which mm-hmm. gives a, a pretty expansive field of view. Um, you know, probably in that five to six degree range is, is my guess. Um, and again, the view was so nice. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, my wife made an interesting comment cause I said, wow, I really like it, the view through the telescope. And she said, well, it really doesn't look that different to me. And, uh, she was right. Like the actual magnification wasn't that different. Um, but you know, what it, what, what the telescope does for me, even with the image stabilized binoculars is just how stable the view is with a telescope on a tripod. And yeah. I feel like I'm able to absorb or see more detail, you know, and appreciate the object a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so then we switched from the 31 millimeter Nagler and I put in my Leica zoom, which goes from like, I think 17.8 millimeter down to 8.9. Mm-hmm. And magnification really didn't help, um, no. at least not to my eye. It was less pleasing. It's it's far better to take in a rich star field with a comet, um, and and you know be able to see the whole tail and and the nucleus and and really appreciate it that way. Hmm. So yeah, it was fantastic. It was a great view, um, and I think you got out last night as well. Yeah, I went out later. Um, you know, to me, it seemed like it had either dimmed down or some of that haze maybe was, was, uh, was covering it up or something. Cause the, uh, I guess it's more or less like three nights ago ish when I was out, it's sort of hard to kind of track on it when you're getting up in the middle of the night. Um, I put it at about first magnitude or maybe just a smidge better, but, uh, but last night I, I would have said it was more like closer to third magnitude. Like I, I got out of the car and I could barely see it. Whereas, the first night when I got out it was kind of like your experience where you hop into the car and you're like, there it is. Um, and there was quite a bit of, there was quite a bit of that high, uh, very thin uh, cloud covering like the moon and other parts of the sky. And I'm guessing maybe some of that had moved in front of it. So if you were saying it was still pretty bright, then that that's probably what I was looking through. It was, it was hard to tell, but uh, yeah, definitely it, it seemed to have dimmed it down quite a bit. For sure. And, and, you know, I think I can confirm that because, so we went out, uh, we left at about 11 PM and reached the observing site probably by about 20 after. Um, but within the, uh, re- like the local astronomy club, uh, a number of members went out last night to observe it and posted their results. And one individual was out from like 10 30 or 11 till two or three in the morning observing it. And he commented how the first couple of hours uh, maybe up until midnight, it was pretty good. But then uh, some haze came in and some high level cloud and it started to dim it and, and kind of filter out the comet. So oh, okay. certainly that's what happened to you, I think. Yeah, yeah, probably. Like I was looking uh, at dusk and it just seemed like there was some of that around at that time. So I, I and I couldn't find it from my backyard. So I just thought, well, I'll, I'll uh, go, to, go to sleep for a couple hours. And sometimes more often than not, I find here anyway, the sky does improve during the overnight hours. So uh, I'm guessing last night it just, it was just unlucky. There was parts of the sky that were really good, but uh, there was definitely parts of the sky that, uh, that weren't that, weren't that great. But uh, Hey, what'd you think of my uh, $99 telescope with the Prima Lucha lab rings on it? (laughs) 
Well, I think, you know, a quarter of one of those rings is worth more than that entire telescope. <laughs> <laughs> it looked great. You know, it's, uh, it looks like they're a perfect fit for it, which, well, you, or no, not quite. So what the, the little scope, this little 80 millimeter refractor has a little mounting plate on it. I think you've seen that and you can, you can attach a plate to it. I only have like one plate that works with this telescope and my uh, and my hundred millimeter, and I was reluctant to kind of take the rings off and then bolt it on. It just seems like a lot of rigmarole every time I want to switch switch across from either the uh, hundred millimeter to the eighty. So the hundred millimeter, although it gives a it gives a reasonably wide field view, it's not a super wide field telescope. I get it more as a generalist telescope slash planetary telescope, as you, as you know. Um, but the 80 is just a wide field telescope, not really much for planets at all. You know, I'm going to be using it at, at less than 50 power the majority of the time. So I thought, well, I can probably, maybe they'll fit. It didn't quite fit, like screwed down all the way. There was still like quite a bit of play. And so what I ended up doing is taking some uh, like packing material, like some almost like bubble wrap type material and, uh, and just kind of encircling the spots where the rings were contacting and it, it looks horrendously ugly, but, but it worked perfectly well. Like it just gave enough, enough of a, of an increase in the tube diameter to, to give me some pretty good purchase with the rings. So like I observed with it for half an hour or so and had no problems at all. So I think I'm just going to observe with it that way. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, that's great. That's awesome. Good solution. Yeah. And sometimes you have to be creative to, to make things work like that. I think it looked pretty, pretty deadly too. Like, you know, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta post that photo to Claudia Knights and say, Hey, my tube rings came in for my ST80. <laughs> you know, you I bought these yeah. just for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah um, so yeah. And you know, I, I spent a little bit of time just kind of looking at some stars and star testing it. Um, like, by the way, thanks so much because this little 80 millimeter scope worked phenomenally better after you definitely took a, a pretty big crack at um, like blackening the edges and uh, and doing some of the other work that you did to to get that pinch optic, uh, you know, out of the equation. So you mentioned that there was still some or there was some uh, alignment or collimation issue. Um, and definitely, yeah, I, I saw that it's pretty, I thought it was pretty minimal though. I thought it was in the sort of generally accepted realm of normalcy for a telescope that costs just a dollar less than a hundred dollars. So yeah, for the price, you certainly can't expect perfection necessarily, but I'm happy to hear that it's uh, better than what it was before. That's because that honestly, that job took probably all of 10 or 15 minutes. You're so. not supposed to tell me that I was going to, I was going to get you like a goodly amount of, uh, of, of non-gluten-free beer so whoa the, the real <laughs> beer <laughs> no, it, it was it was really a, a simple job so yeah. anyway, if anybody wants to purchase one of those telescopes uh, and if they run into the same problem uh, you know my my message would be don't be afraid to take it apart and and loosen that retainer ring because it really was was no, no trouble at all yeah uh, yeah definitely uh worked a lot better i just gotta i want to now just take a bit of the flocking paper and flock the dew shield because i was getting quite a bit of scatter i was trying to look at mars and the moon and it was a pretty big mess around that so i think uh i think that's sort of the last thing i'll do and yeah it looks pretty deadly with the two inch focuser um which again cost uh about 25 or 30 percent more than the telescope and the prima lucha rings which cost uh two or three times the telescope and then 
uh, the bit of work that you did. And then I had I had to I had to do the star test, of course, with my Noblex twelve point five millimeter four <laughs> degree, which is the most expensive eyepiece I own. So you know, it's really nice to see her properly dressed out in uh, you know in in, in a boat. Uh, you know, I don't know a hundred times the the uh, the amount of the cost of the of the original optics so, <laughs> or whatever. It was That's hilarious. Yeah, it was it was pretty fun. But you know, I mean those those little ST80 type telescopes, this is a neat adventure scope it's called. And I just ordered it on Amazon. I think for, for us in Canada it's like around 129 or something. But it comes with all this junk and unfortunately it does come with all this junk. It's hard to get it without the junk. The, a lot of throwaway stuff. But uh Anyhow, that uh, the the optic in it is is pretty decent once you uh, back the retaining ring off and and get that, that pinched optic taken care of like you were kind enough to do for me. So yeah, I'm I'm pretty happy with it. Um, and I used my lowest power, my 30 millimeter, which gives me just over five degrees. Uh, and then one of the reasons why I had originally purchased this this really inexpensive telescope and and then put all this work into it, putting a new focuser on and everything. Um, although at some expense is that uh, it's sort of like the cheapest way to get this really wide field in an 80 millimeter telescope. And the yeah, view is really nice. Go ahead. You really can't beat the price for, you know, that field of view. Um, mm. you, know, you won't find anything better. And, you know, it's a, it's an interesting study or, you know, like real, real kind of light, like, you know, I can't talk today, real live study that you've done here. Um, you know, we've spent, we've spent a lot of money on individual telescopes in the past. Uh, and then you buy one that's very inexpensive. And I think it's pretty fair to say that the, the cost difference between the $99 telescope and say a $2,000 telescope, you know, the cost difference doesn't equal the performance difference. No, not, not, <laughs> not uh, The $2,000 telescope will perform better, but not to the level that you're paying. Um, so, you know, the, if all you can afford is a hundred dollar telescope, go ahead and buy it. Uh, you're probably going to love it and, and actually have a pretty darn good telescope. Well, I, I think these ST80 type telescopes are like, if, if somebody is on an extremely tight budget and like you said, can, can kind of take a bit of a crack at things, um, replacing the focuser was super, super easy. And, uh, I think they run for about $129 American or, or something like that for a good focus. I got mine from Gina Astro. I think it was a Gina Astro. No, possibly. Yeah, no, it was a Gina Astro, I think. Anyway, look for the one with two set screws to hold your diagonal though. There's, there's several models of replacement focusers for the SD80. Um, and so maybe really quick, I refer to it as an ST80. It used to be called the ST80 from Orion Telescope and Binocular. And this is an 80 millimeter refractor that's a focal ratio of F5 or 400 millimeter focal, focal length. And uh, it it's subsequently been produced by a variety of manufacturers from Skywatcher to Mead to Celestron to a whole pile of, of different manufacturers. But they come with a pretty uh, crummy uh, focuser and it doesn't take two inch eyepieces. And this, this telescope really uh, excels when you use very low power two inch eyepieces. That's really what its, uh, what its forte is. So you kind of want to pop that focuser off, put the new one on. And then the other thing, unfortunately, that, that for whatever reason they do with it, I think for maybe shipping purposes or whatever, is they, they really jam the lenses into it. 
and there's this ring at the top and you need to take the dew shield off it just slides off and then yeah you need to back that ring off and give the telescope a good knock and then just kind of very lightly secure the the optic to to get it really to to perform but you even like darken the edge for me i think and and that definitely uh it, it definitely seemed like it had a lot better contrast too so Oh, that's great. That's really great. Yeah. I'm just looking at it online. Uh, the one that you have is the Mead Adventure Scope 80. Yeah. $130 Canadian comes with yeah. eyepieces, tripod, diagonal, backpack, finder. And all that stuff is, in my opinion, worthless. Yeah. It's um, not very good. Even the backpack I thought might be useful. Unfortunately, it wasn't. Um, but uh, but the scope itself is is pretty decent. One should do this little bit of work to it. And there's like online tutorials you can look up like ST80 modifications and blah, blah, blah. And you'll, you'll find people have done all kinds of crazy stuff to them. But I think the, the main things are replace the focuser and, and get the optics, um, you know, properly, uh, you know, properly positioned in, in the tube. Um, you know, so for the sake of maybe another hundred or, or $150 American, you, you can get a really, really good uh, little telescope. Then of course you need to mounted up on on something so i'm just using a 150 dollar uh universal astronomics dwarf star which is perfect for it and i think larry might still make them over at universal astronomics but i think there's a variety of of suppliers of small ldas mounts now and uh, certainly it will go on just about anyone because it's only i think a a five pound telescope once you put a plate on it so uh, it's pretty pretty easy and then Really, I, I don't think there's much that beats it for low power wide field. I think it gives you the optimal wide field and uh, pretty decent optics for, you know, for in the end, I guess, looking at maybe $200-ish, maybe 250 American, something like that. But yeah. I, I, think it's, I think it's worth it. I think that's absolutely the cheapest telescope that you can go with and then get some, uh, some decent views. Yeah, and I think it would even ride quite well on a like a photographic tripod with a like a fluid head mount or a, a ball like a fluid head. Yeah, I guess mount is the right word. Uh, I I think those could handle it quite well. And yeah, I think so. I think like there's a little plate on the bottom. You can even probably screw one of those. So you could definitely get going with it. I think I think the big the big thing though is to put a proper focuser on it, and then uh, and then get those optics uh, taken care of. Um, but yeah, I'm just using it. Like I put that a universal mount on uh, universal astronomics mount on on my Manfrotto, and it's just like the smallest photographic Manfrotto that that will go up to five or six feet. So um, you know, I'm definitely definitely on a very very lightweight uh, photographic only tripod, and uh, it was perfect. Like I wouldn't wouldn't even want anything else. Super portable uh, setup and. Uh, yeah, works works really well. Yeah, so got a, got a few other things going on this this month. Uh, Shane, you know, we'll just um, kind of run through it really really quick. So Venus has just passed uh, greatest illumination. So did you? I guess you weren't out late enough. I think Venus was just starting to rise when I was heading home at at two whatever in the morning. Yeah, I missed Venus and Mars. Uh, Saturn and Jupiter were perfectly positioned for some observing but um with the little 61 millimeter i didn't bother looking at them yeah and palace it's at opposition uh tomorrow night 
So that's an asteroid. If, if people are interested, they can put that into their software. If you, you look it up, you can find it online. But you mentioned uh, Jupiter and, and Saturn. So Jupiter is at opposition. That means it's um, basically at its closest point to Earth and will be, brighter, will be brighter than any other time during the year. So uh, July 14th, that's when you can, can best see it. I was actually looking at it last night with a pair of 7x50s and uh, had no problem uh, pulling the moons out. Um, just with my seven by fifty, so I was pretty happy with that. That was that was pretty fun. And then Saturn is going to be at opposition on uh, on the twentieth, so uh, I do plan on on observing those. But I'll be uh, I'll probably be away on on those uh, those nights observing it. I guess well well one of those nights anyway. Um, are, you, are you using any filters when you look at Saturn and well Jupiter more so I guess. Well, I'm going to try that contrast filter that uh, that you recommended, and I I picked up a few months ago. Yeah, okay. um, but that's probably about it. I have a light blue filter I enjoy using on Jupiter. I think light blue is a is a nice filter. So um, there's a there's a good article or a good thread recently on uh, cloudy nights in the eyepieces forum. Uh, Bill Palini, I think is how you say his last name, mm-hmm. uh, did a little planetary filter shootout. Hmm. He um, observed the primary planets for I think about 30 days on multiple nights and he went back and forth with all sorts of filters uh, including some like very inexpensive photographic gel filters and his uh, like the results that he had that repeated multiple nights was that the Bader contrast booster was the best filter uh well his second favorite filter uh on basically all of the planets mars jupiter saturn mm-hmm. um the one that he liked the best was the bader contrast booster with one of these gel filters stacked on top of it and okay. i can't remember i want to say it was a violet one but i might be wrong so for okay. those that are interested in some planetary filters um maybe check out that thread i'll see if i can tweet it out actually yeah that'd be cool uh, it's a it's an interesting read and and bill what i appreciate uh, about his testing that he does is he's very methodical and he yeah. really puts uh whatever he's testing it you know he really puts it through the ringer to make sure that he's done the proper analysis and i always enjoy reading his results he's, he's actually got a book out I, I keep meaning to pick it up it's it's not inexpensive um but i'm, I'm guessing it would be uh pretty good and that is I, I believe the title is something like uh choosing and using astronomical eyepieces it's part of the springer um amateur astronomy I believe maybe even the Patrick Moore uh, series through uh, Springer Press. Um, you know, it's one of those ones. But I think when I last looked, it was Canadian, like 67. Um, and I've already got lots of eyepieces. And, um, you know, I think I think it'd be awesome if somebody was really looking into uh, getting some more eyepieces or at, at an earlier stage. It's just hard to for me to justify a book on picking an eyepieces when, I pretty much have my eyepieces right now. There's there's a couple I would I would like. So uh, anyhow, maybe somebody can can pick that up and let us know. Yeah, that's a book that's been on my list and similar. Like I don't really need any new eyepieces, but uh, I do appreciate reading a little bit about the history of some of the eyepieces that were developed. And he puts in his thoughts too. You know, yeah. of what he thinks of some of these eyepieces, which again I really appreciate uh, Bill's insight. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. No. Exactly. Um, new moon is on the 20th. Um, that's when it's very close to the sun. So, uh, therefore it's not visible in the nighttime sky and makes for some really good, uh, dark skies and makes the uh, nebula and star clusters, um, from the, uh, 
from the summer Milky Way really pop. So looking forward to, to the new moon weekend coming up. Should be pretty good. Yeah, for sure. And Mercury on the 22nd will be at greatest uh, Western elongation. So uh, it's going to be uh, best to take a look at Mercury uh, while it's high in the morning sky uh, before before sunrise kind of impedes on it. So kind of hope to, to take a look at, at some of those. And I don't know if I mentioned this, but picked uh, Scorpius as my uh, feature constellation this summer. So uh, here in the next few days before uh, before this these observing sessions we're looking forward to, I'll I'll get you uh, you and others uh, a list of uh, weird and wonderful objects you can you can observe there. So that's outstanding because uh, I have some Scorpius stuff on my list uh, for this summer. Actually, yeah, I I, I sort of have a, have an intimate relationship with the scorpion. Oh. So, oh yeah, weren't you stung by one? I, I was stung by a scorpion when I was uh, <laughs> sleeping in uh, in the bottom of a of a of a wine or not a wine press, an olive an old olive press uh, that had been turned into an Airbnb uh, seven or eight years ago in the Tuscan hillside, and uh, yeah, woke up one night to this uh, very very sharp, painful, I guess like hornet slash wasp type sting on my foot. Couldn't find anything, looked everywhere, figured I was, you know, just imagining things. My foot really hurt. So I went, sat upstairs for like an hour and after an hour or so, like it stopped throbbing and didn't seem to have any other ill effects and just kind of chalked it up to, you know, a vivid imagination and maybe like, I don't know, like, you know, somehow moving my foot a certain way or catching it on my other foot or something like that in my sleep. And then when I woke up in the morning, there was this giant scorpion on the wall next to the bed. So kind of put, you know, maybe, maybe it didn't sting me, but it kind of felt like what maybe a scorpion sting would look like or feel like. And then uh, to wake up the next day and then find a scorpion right there beside me seemed to indicate to me that perhaps indeed I did get stung by a scorpion. <laughs> <laughs> well, now, now you have a special connection with the sky and that constellation. <laughs> so there's a tale of two scorpions. Yes, yes. All right. So um, what are you planning to uh, maybe take a look at here, Shane? Like I think you're maybe maybe getting your, your plans together. So that's my plan. I'm going to be making up a list and uh, doing some uh, Scorpion or Scorpius observing. And uh, you were saying maybe you have a few objects down in the, uh, in the lower reaches of the southern Milky Way scene from Canada too. Yeah. So as you know, Chris, um, a couple of years ago, I kind of happened across a, an old Teleview refractor, uh, Teleview Genesis, uh, SDF Genesis. Um, so it's the precursor to their NP 101. Um, it's, it was produced in the mid nineties. It's a 101 millimeter, uh, ap 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 apochromatic refractor. Well, you uh, are struggling today. You got yeah. to staying up more. I know, I know. You think as an astronomer, I'd be a little more used to being tired and, and trying to operate. But, but anyway, I, this telescope is in outstanding condition. Uh, they're known for their wide field uh, and very flat field views. Um, now, what's kind of also intriguing about this telescope is one of our, one of our favorite observers, Stephen James O'Meara, uh, wrote a number of books observing various objects with pretty much the exact same telescope. Yeah, I think we mentioned um, some of those in our in our what what to do on cloudy nights, and we were suffering from 
the never ending stream of cloud and wind there in June. Yeah. Yeah. So I, the one that intrigues me the most is the hidden treasures uh, book because that mm -hmm. entire book was, was observed with ex like basically the exact same telescope. Uh, uh, Stephen observed from, I think primarily all of those objects from Hawaii uh, where he lives. Um, and I started reading the book and I, you know, I'm fascinated by his writing style and his observing skills. Uh, and I thought, you know what? I'm not going to read this the way I would normally read a book, which is you pick it up, you start on page one and you finish the book. Yeah. Um, we've talked about how we don't like to necessarily uh, have an idea of what an object should look like prior to observing it. And I felt like if I read this book, it might, it might skew my experience at the eyepiece. I might start convincing myself I'm seeing things that maybe I'm not actually seeing. So, what my plan is, is I want to observe all of these objects uh, that Stephen wrote about in Hidden Treasures mm -hmm. using the same telescope. Um, I want to record my detailed observing notes uh, at the eyepiece. And then after the fact, I want to go and read about his observation of that object okay. and just see what he saw, see what I saw. Um, certainly, I'm... I'm not claiming to be anywhere near the observer he is. So I'm sure his, his detail and, and uh, what he saw is probably going to be, you know, greater than mine. But I'm also sort of curious about, you know, his sky versus the grassland sky mm -hmm. where you and I like to observe, because I believe that our grassland sky is, is second to none uh, or, yeah. or at, at the very least, you know, it's, it's on equal to, you know, some of the great sites in the world. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I think it's kind of a neat uh, little project, um, you know, given some of the variables are, are constant, you know, with the telescope and some of the eyepieces. So um, okay. because it's summer, I want to tackle the Sagittarius objects as well as the Scorpius objects. So uh, on that list, there's four Scorpius and there are one, two, three, four, five, six Sagittarius objects. Hmm. So if we are able to get to grasslands this coming weekend, well, I know you're committed a hundred percent, you know, I'm still, if the weather's great, I'll be there. If the weather is not good, I probably won't be there. Um, but uh, nailing or, you know, being able to observe 10 objects over two nights should not be a problem. Mm -hmm. uh, so that is the goal for this coming weekend. Okay. All right. Well, maybe we should, what we should do is uh, we've kind of spent, uh, you know, some pretty good time talking about a variety of different things. Maybe, uh, maybe we'll come back here in a few minutes and, and do episode 32 and talk a little bit more about our preparation uh, for observing in the grasslands and other dark sky adventures this summer. Let's do it. All right. Great chatting with you, Shane. And you, and thanks everybody for listening.